Book Seven, Chapter Seven of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Cartboulet. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Seven. The Triumph of Pride. The three sisters were retired at night to another council in the room of Camilla when Molly Mill, with a look of dismay, burst in upon them, bringing, with the answer of Sir Sedley, news that Tommy Hodd, by an accident he could not help, had rode the horse she had borrowed for him of the undergroom to death. The dismay now spread equally to them all. What a tale would this misfortune unfold to Sir Hugh, to Edgar, to the whole house! The depth of Lionel, the correspondence with Sir Sedley, the expectations of the young baronet, Camilla could not support it. She sent for Jacob to own to him the affair, and beg his assistance. Jacob, though getting into bed, obeyed the call. He was, however, so much irritated at the loss of the horse, and the boldness of the undergroom in lending him without leave, that, at first, he would listen to no entreaties, and protested that both the boy and Molly Mill should be complained of to his master. The eloquence, however, of his three young mistresses, for so all the nieces of Sir Hugh were called by the servants at Cleves, soon softened his ire. He almost adored his master, and was affectionately attached to the young family. They begged him, therefore, to buy another horse, as like it as possible, and to contrive not to employ it when Sir Hugh was in sight, till they were able to clear up the history to their uncle themselves. This would not be difficult, as the baronet rarely visited his stables since his fall, from the melancholy with which he was filled by the sight of his horses. There was to be a fair for cattle in the neighborhood the next day, and Jacob promised to ride over to see what bargain he could make for them. They then inquired about what money would be necessary for the purchase. The cost, he said, of poor Tom Jones was forty pounds. Camilla held up her hands, almost screaming. Eugenia, with more presence of mind, said they would see him again in the morning before he went, and then told Molly Mill to wait for her in her own room. "'What can I now do?' cried Camilla. "'I would not add the history of this dreadful expense to the sad tale I have already to relate to Edgar for the universe.' To begin my career by such a string of humiliations would be insupportable. Already I owe five guineas to Mrs. Aubrey, which the tumult of my mind since my return has prevented me from naming to my uncle, and I have left debts at Tunbridge that will probably take up all my next quarter's allowance. As far as these three guineas will go, said Lavinia, taking out her purse, here, my dearest Camilla, they are. But how little that is! I never before thought my pittance too small, yet how well we all know my dear father cannot augment it. Eugenia, who, in haste, had stepped to her own room, now came back, and putting twenty guineas into the hand of Camilla, said, This, my beloved sister, is all I now have by me, but Jacob is rich and good, and will rejoice to pay the rest for us at present, and I shall very soon reimburse him for my uncle has insisted upon making me a very considerable present, which I shall now no longer refuse. 
Camilla burst into tears, and, hanging about their necks, "'Oh, my sisters!' she cried. "'What goodness is yours? "'But how can I avail myself of it with any justice? "'Your three guineas, my Lavinia, your little all, "'how can I bear to take? "'Do not teach me to repine, my dear Camilla, "'that I have no more. "'I am sure of being remembered by my uncle "'on the approaching occasions, "'and I can never, therefore, "'better spare my little store. "'You are all kindness, "'and you, my dear Eugenia, Though you have more, have claims upon that more, and are both expected and used to answer them. Yes, I have indeed more, interrupted Eugenia, which only sisters good as mine could pardon. But because my uncle has made me his heiress, has he made me a brute? No. Whatever I have must be amongst us all in common, not only now, but— She stopped, affrighted at the idea she was presenting to herself, and fervently clasping her hands, exclaimed, Oh, long, long may it be ere I can show my sisters all I feel for them. They will believe it, I am sure, and that is far happier. The idea this raised struck them all, at the same moment, to the heart. Not one of them had dry eyes, and with a sadness overpowering every other consideration, they sighed as heavily, and with looks as disconsolate, as if the uncle so dear to them were already no more. The influence of parts, the predominance of knowledge, the honor of learning, the captivation of talents, and even the charm of fame itself, all shrink in their effects before the superior force of goodness, even where most simple and uncultivated, for power over the social affections. At an early hour, the next morning, the commission, with the twenty guineas in hand, and the promise of the rest in a short time, were given to Jacob, and Camilla then begged permission of her father and the carriage of her uncle to visit Mrs. Albury, who, she had heard, was just returned to the grove. Concluding she wished to be the messenger of her own affairs to that lady, they made no opposition, and she set off before eight o'clock, without entering the parlour where Edgar, she was informed, was already arrived for breakfast. The little journey was terrible to her. Scenes of disappointment and despair on the part of Sir Sedley were anticipated by her alarmed imagination, and she reproached herself for every word she had ever spoken, every look she had ever given, that could have raised any presumption of her regard. The last note was written in the style of all the others, and not one ever expressed the smallest doubt of success. How dreadful, then, to break to him such news, at the very moment he might imagine she came to meet him with partial pleasure. Mrs. Albury was not yet risen. Camilla inquired, stammering, if any company were at the house. None, was the answer. She then begged leave to walk in the garden, till Mrs. Albury came downstairs. She was not sorry to miss her. She dreaded her yet more than Sir Sedley himself, and hoped to see him alone. Nevertheless, she remained a full hour in waiting, ruminating upon the wonder her disappearance would give to Edgar, and nearly persuaded some chance had anticipated her account to Sir Sedley, whose rage and grief were too violent to suffer him to keep his appointment. This idea served but to add to her perturbation when, at last, she saw him enter the garden. All presence of mind then forsook her. 
she looked around to see if she could escape, but his approach was too quick for avoidance. Her eyes, unable to encounter his, were bent upon the ground, and she stood still, and even trembling, till he reached her. To the prepossessed notions and vain character of Sir Sedley, these were symptoms by no means discouraging. With a confidence almost amounting to arrogance, he advanced, pitying her distress, yet pitying himself still more for the snare in which it was involving him. He permitted his eyes for a moment to fasten upon her, to admire her, and to enjoy triumphantly her confusion in silence. "'Ah, beauteous tyrant!' he then cried. "'If this instant were less inappreciable, in what language could I upbraid thy unexampled abuse of power, thy lacerating barbarity?' He then, almost by force, took her hand. She struggled eagerly to recover it, but— "'No!' he cried, "'fair torturer! It is now my prisoner, and must be punished for its inhuman sins, in the congening and unmerciful lines it has portrayed for me.' And then, regardless of her resistance, which he attributed to mere bashfulness, he obstinately and incessantly devoured it with kisses, in defiance of opposition, supplication, or anger, till, suddenly and piercingly, she startled him with a scream and snatched it away with a force irresistible. Amazed, he stared at her. Her face was almost convulsed with emotion, but her eyes, which appeared to be fixed, directed him to the cause. At the bottom of the walk, which was only a few yards distant, stood Mendelbert. Pale and motionless, he looked as if bereft of strength and faculties. Camilla had seen him the moment she raised her eyes, and her horror was uncontrollable. Sir Sedley, astonished at what he beheld, astonished what to think, drew back with a supercilious kind of bow. Edgar, recalled by what he thought insolence to his recollection, advanced a few steps, and addressing himself to Camilla, said, I had the commands of Sir Hugh to pursue you, Miss Tyrold, to give you immediate notice that Mr. Linmere is arrived. He added no more, deigned not a look at Sir Sedley, but rapidly retreated, remounted his horse, and galloped off. Camilla looked after him till he was out of sight, with uplifted hands and eyes, deploring his departure, his mistake, and his resentment, without courage to attempt stopping him. Sir Sedley stood suspended, how to act, what to judge. If Edgar's was the displeasure of a discarded lover, why should it so affect Camilla? If of a successful one, why came she to meet him? Why had she received and answered his notes? Finding she attempted neither to speak nor move, he again approached her, and saying, fair incomprehensible, would again have taken her hand. But rousing to a sense of her situation, she drew back, and with some dignity, but more agitation, cried, Sir Sedley, I blush if I am culpable of any part of your mistake, but suffer me now to be explicit, and let me be fully, finally, and not too late understood. You must write to me no more. I cannot answer nor read your letters. You must speak to me no more, except in public society. You must go further, Sir Sedley. You must think of me no more. Horrible! cried he, starting back. 
you distress me past measure. No, no, you will soon, easily, readily forget me. Inhuman, you make me unhappy past thought. Indeed, I am inexpressibly concerned, but the whole affair, you shock, you annihilate me, you injure me in the tenderest point. Camilla now, amazed, cried, What is it you mean, sir? By investing me, fair barbarian, with the temerity of forming any claim that can call for repulse? Utterly confounded by so unexpected a disclaiming of all design, she again, though from far different sensations, cast up her eyes and hands. And is it, she thought, for a trifler such as this, so unmeaning, so unfeeling, I have risked my whole of hope and happiness? She said, however, no more. For what more could be said? She coloured, passed him, and hastily quitting the garden, told the footman to apologise to Mrs. Albury for her sudden departure, by informing her that a near relation was just arrived from abroad, and then got into the carriage, and drove back to Cleves. Sir Sedley followed carelessly, yet without aiming at overtaking her, and entreated, negligently, to be heard, yet said nothing which required the smallest answer. Picked completely, and mortified to the quick, by the conviction which now broke in upon him of the superior ascendance of Mendelbert, he could not brook to have been thought in earnest when he saw he should not have been accepted, nor pardon his own vanity, the affront it had brought upon his pride. He sung aloud an opera air till the carriage of Sir Hugh was out of sight, and then drove his phaeton to Clarendel Place, where he instantly ordered his post-chaise, and in less than an hour set off on a tour to the Hebrides. End of chapter 7